millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello once again. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome to another Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. Today, lies Damn lies and employment statistics. Now, if you believe the data, the unemployment rate in the United States with figures out last week is 4.5%, less if you're white, and 15% if you're a teenager. The number of unemployed people in the United States is 7.5 million, and almost a quarter of them have been out of work for more than half a year or more. But look, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? Particularly when you look at it as an unemployment percentage. 4.5% 4.5% back in 2009, it hit 10%, and it's been gradually sliding down ever since. So when Donald Trump talks about getting jobs back, what exactly is he talking about? I mean, 4.5% is pretty much as low as the unemployment rate can get. Yet Professor Steve Keen isn't sure those figures are that reliable. So what's, what's the issue? Uh, is it the way they're, they're collected? What, what is it that makes you think these figures aren't so bona fide? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of this. has been a long-term bugbear for me. And I have to say that the, uh, the Australian survey company, I'm trying to think of their damn name right now, but they, they got so sick of the unemployment stats in Australia being misleading that they started producing their own alternative statistics, uh, which didn't ask people a whole range of punitive questions. Now, imagine you're going off to Centrelink. Uh, which is the Australian Unemployment Agency, whatever whatever the agencies are in the UK as well. And they basically, the whole role of the bureaucrat there is to make you feel miserable. Mm. Okay. So, have you applied for a job last week? Um, why should I? There are no jobs in my area. Oh, so you're not unemployed then? Right. No, no, I, I want a job. That's what happens. The, the questions are so loaded to basically penalise the unemployed for not working. I've got a particular personal um, bone to pick on this one. I've got a sister who's ran a uh, a uh, trustworks company for some substantial period. She's in the late 50s, extremely intelligent, capable woman. Uh, run, the business was booming in um, in northern northern New South Wales, but the debt involved in taking over the building, she had to do it one stage. She decided not to, so she found herself classified as unemployed and required to put in 20 job applications a month. Right. How the hell do you put into even in Sydney, let alone in the you know, rural New South Wales? So this sort of thing, this punitive aspect to how unemployment stats are collected, uh, and the fact that the difference between what they get answered and the population becomes changes in the participation rate, this makes it incredibly opaque and quite misleading to trust that data. And in America's case, the gap between reality and the reported data is so big now that I'm calling it out. And I'm on this one. Trump is definitely right. There's massive unemployment hidden unemployment in America, and that's the, that people who are being hidden and, and not being counted by the Democrats, as it happens, um, and when not by Bush either, those people are the ones who voted for Trump. So you're saying, in effect, the participation rate is lower because, uh, because, of, yeah. because of those questions that are being asked. It's like, uh, oh, well, you're not really true. You're, you're out of work, but you're not really trying to find a job. Therefore, we'll classify you as, as not looking, and therefore you're not in the part. Of, we're not going to include you as part of the participation rate. That's what you're saying, in effect. That's right. Yeah. And also, like in America's case, where the additional thing, how many people are in prison, it's actually a substantial percentage of the population. So um, uh, in, in that 
case of the participation, they're not unemployed because they're not in the workforce. Right. Uh, but if, if you count the population, they're part of the population that doesn't have a job. So these these factors, uh, if you're going to if you're going to piss people off, I can think of no better way of doing it than the recorded unemployment statistics. But the participation rate in the United States has dropped. So, uh, admittedly, not as much as the unemployment rate, but it's dropped from so it was sixty six percent of the population was counted as being uh, the participation rate in two thousand and seven. It's down to sixty three percent now. So I mean, it mm-hmm. has it has gone down, but admittedly, it's only gone down three percent, and yet the claim on the unemployment is gone down from 10% to 4.5%. So, yeah. so in effect, one of them is half, the other one's gone down just a little bit. Yeah, but the, one, the participation rate uh, has all sorts of catches to it. And the, th- the crazy thing is, rather than saying that these things are, are, are tripwires that are there to reduce the actual recorded unemployment level, I've got to see an economist taking it seriously and wondering, what, what optimal decision are workers making to decide not to apply for jobs right now? Uh, again, that's total ludicrous uh, nonsense. The beauty is that normally you've got to go to Breibart websites to find stuff to contradict this stuff or Zero Hedge and so on. And people say, oh, yeah, you can't trust that. I'm staring right now at data from the Federal Reserve Economic Database, FRED, which is a wonderful database. I highly recommend people to play with. And I've put together a chart which has on one axis the unemployment rate and on the other axis the employment rate. Now, if one was a fair measure of the other, they'd be basically like a Rorschach plot. You know, yeah. the, the top and the bottom would be actually identical. And there's such a divergence now that it's just screamingly obvious that the unemployment data is fake, fake news. So to give you the figures, uh, before the financial crisis hit, so we're talking about 2000 and, uh, and I'll get the actual date here, 2000 and December 2006, the civilian employment rate was 63.4%. And the civilian unemployment rate was 4.4%. Mm. Now we go to the where at the other side of the crisis. We know we know the unemployment rate is pretty much 4.5, 4.4%, as you said. The employment rate is 60%. Right. So 3.4% of the population change. Now there are other. You've got to look at demographic shifts as well. And there's a more um, specific set of data that relates to people between the ages of 25 and 54. And the people, certainly people below, below, below 54 aren't retiring and people below 25, are above 25, are definitely almost all in the workforce looking for jobs or they're either looking for jobs or they're raising kids. So That's I guess, pretty much the choice. Yeah. This huge fall in people who've got a job since the financial crisis and it, they have not got jobs afterwards. Right, and I guess this idea that the, because it's often used as the argument, isn't it? You'll, you'll hear people saying, oh, well, you know, uh, the... the Unemployment's fallen, but um, the um, but part of that, or unemployment's risen, and part of the reason for that is because the participation rate has risen, and that's almost used as an excuse. Uh, I've heard yeah. that used many times, and yet, you know, why would the participation rate change? Why would Except, you voluntarily? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and can then, you can allow for it over over a period of time because of changing demographics, but to change from month to month or year to year, that is a bit peculiar, isn't it? It is peculiar. And in fact, the trend, the only thing which uh, which gives you a reason for a rising participation rate over time and which would then now be tapering would be the the uh, presence of women in the workforce. If you go back to the 1980s, there was much, uh, pre-1980s, many, many less women in the workforce than there are now. And on that basis, if I look at the data for um, uh, the employment rate in America, if I go back to... Uh, 1975, for example, uh, which was really not that was the beginning of women's lib in that sense, or when it was well and truly established, and women were more and more getting into the workforce. At that stage, the civilian employment to population ratio is 56%. 
Now, it really rose from 56%. It peaked. And by this stage, you've got the, 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 the feminization, if I can use that term, of the workforce would have, by that stage, there's the, the maximum number of women who would have wanted to get a job and were able to get one would be in the workforce. That was then the civilian rate in April of 2000 was 64.7%. So you now regard the other roughly 35% of the population that isn't recorded as having a job. They're either children retired people or predominantly women taking care of children back at home. So at that stage, and that, that stage, the unemployment rate too is 4% in America. So you want to take an absolute peak performance point in the American economy. April 2000 is your peak. And yeah, there you see unemployment rate is actually, it was actually 3.8% below below 4%. It actually got low, it even got lower than that, I think. I'm just flipping along the data. Now, 3.8 was the minimum. So, 60, 60, I mean, 60, roughly 60, if the American economy is going bit gangbusters, 65% of the population has a job. At the moment, it's 60%. Right. And yet, the unemployment rate, we're saying is 4.5%. So, it's actually, uh, you know, not hugely dissimilar to where it was when you said it was going gangbusters. So, in theory, yeah. we're, in theory, we're going gangbusters, but you're saying we're not seeing that in terms of the number of people employed. So, isn't so so isn't that the better measure then? Isn't the rather than looking at an, an unemployment rate, shouldn't we just be looking at the the employment rate and just counting actually how many people have a job? Yeah, that's the more honest statistic, and that's what it, it really does annoy me that the unemployment rate is focused upon when there's so many fudges involved in it. And politicians themselves like adding those fudges. So my dear friend Tony Abbott, of course, is responsible for this nonsense that required my sister to apply for 20 jobs a month. Yeah. Now, if you couldn't manage to find 20 jobs for a month, you're working your ass off for no wage, and they say, oh, you're also not unemployed, so you're not going to get unemployment benefits either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It is, it is, and it's no wonder the working class is saying up but working class is saying up your ass and voting for Donald Trump's and, uh, and Pauline Hansen's around the world. Well, the unemployment rate for black or African-Americans has gone from a peak of 17.3% in 2010 down to 7.9% in January 2017. So still mm-hmm. higher than the average. But that is a huge drop. So and yet, you know, maybe a lot of those people are saying, well, hang on a second. This doesn't make any sense because I still haven't got a job. I'm a black. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. an African-American. Um, I, I'm not seeing this uh, this big slide it's probably because they are not being counted as being in the workforce. Yeah, again, and that, and this is, if people wonder why uh, they're, they're willing to throw human hand grenades into, a, into the electoral system rather than voting for sensible and you know, balanced and responsible politicians, the sensible, balanced and responsible politicians are citing bullshit statistics and making policy on bullshit data. But economists do use it, of course. They, uh, you know, it's often quoted. The Federal Reserve is always looking at the unemployment rate when they're looking at a it as a mm. driver for for inflation. And obviously, uh, the, the logic here is if there's uh, uh, less unemployment, um, then that's can be a cause of inflation because we've got more people fighting for fewer jobs, mm. so they ask for more, so that creates wage push inflation. That's that's the logic. So a couple of questions. Uh, one is is that logic sound? And secondly, if it if it it looks like it it it's working at the moment, even though you're questioning the total employment statistics, we are starting to see uh, that unemployment rate fall in the United States, and people would argue that is also seeing a rise in as in in inflation, just as it's supposed to, but not as much as they thought. And this is this is my own profession here. I mean, I'm happy to call myself an anti-economist in these circumstances because you simply have to you can't just use a set of numbers 
without asking what's the basis of the numbers. And if you think the unemployment rate of 4.4% is a real figure, you haven't taken a good look knock of the data. No. And this is, and, and but this is, well, economists are lazy. Okay, the, if, if economists, so I, I usually remember my friends at university would look at the, and my engineering friends would look at what was being studied in the economic course and burst out laughing. The mathematics was so trivial and, and simple. Uh, and they said, you guys get a degree for that. You should see what we've got to do in engineering or physics. Uh, we've got to work our asses off compared to you guys. And frankly, that laziness carries through to how the professional economists behave today. And they don't dive in and look at the data and they don't check and see, is this a verifiable statistic or is it a bullshit statistic? That's because so economists it, it, respond. That's because if they're lazy, if the engineers are lazy, buildings fall down uh, and bridges collapse. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. So is it the same issue in the UK then? The unemployment rate is 4.7%. It's been as high as 11.8% back in 1984. Uh, it's it's low, um, but inflation is also low. In fact, inflation, you know, if it wasn't for the devaluation of the pound, uh, in, you know, inflation would still be pretty low uh, in the UK. Is that because, again, we are counting because, you'd, again, you're expecting inflation to be rising with an unemployment rate that low? So we've, we've got the same issue here in the UK, presumably. And not as bad. I mean, in that front, I, mean, I haven't got them in front of me, unfortunately, so I can't say, Greg, I might have to take a look at it and maybe give you a, put a bit of a post up on my Patreon feed about this later. Um, but the employment stats and the unemployment stats in England are raw shark plots. They, from the last time I looked at them, they, they're very, very similar. So the only thing which I can say, which is a, a factor there, is that the job employment are actually getting is a lot of the zero contract hour, uh, very insecure employment. And for that reason, people are not spending as much and the economy is not growing particularly, though you've still got low unemployment coming out of it. So um, it's it's certainly, uh, and also QE has probably been more effective here at causing a, 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 a flow through into domestic spending because the the QE has actually created money in England where the form of QE used in America doesn't create much money. So um, there is there is a set of circumstantial reasons as to why unemployment employment makes more sense in England than it makes in, or in the UK than it makes in America. But huge structural change going on in the UK. I mean, half the, the increase in jobs over the last year, half of them, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, half of those new jobs are people who are self-employed. So yeah. uh, we're seeing this big structural shift happening. So it's hard. And that's to- also, yeah, question, I mean, it doesn't mean you're an Uber driver. Yeah. But which, and so is it sustainable? Absolutely. Mm. So it would be good, wouldn't it, to, to have some sort of conformity around the world, at least, you know, in, um, in sort of peer nations to the United States and the UK. So there's some sort of a, a agreement in, uh, in, in how these measures are put in place. Well, the trouble is, if you go the real beginning of the, of the rot in terms of how we work out these numbers goes back to the 1970s because the 1973-75 was the period where the global economy really, tra- uh, I, in my opinion, that's why I mark the transition between a robust industrial economy and a finan- and, and a fragile financial economy. That's that particular period. In Australia, for example, which is where I lived at the time, unemployment rose from 1% to 5% across 1974. A huge increase, and mm. America similar sort of thing. So, look, I'm looking at the American data right now. Unemployment they went from five percent to nine percent in the space of a year. Now, that's it, it, so. In that sense, it was as severe as the crisis of the of the uh, of the 2007 crisis, uh, because in fact the unemployment was. We have a worse level now if we use the figures that were used back in the 70s. The response of the statisticians and the response of the politicians as well, we've got to disguise these numbers. So the politicians, uh, 
were doing things like and you know encouraging students to go to university because they go to university you reduce the number of recorded unemployed youth etc etc and you get them off the streets as well and from 73 on these redefinitions of unemployment began to happen now a colleague of mine in australia i've, I've lost touch with him but a, a guy called peter brain uh, he used to always insist on having his name fully full name spelt out on name tags by the way otherwise he's <laughs> mr p brain uh, but, but <laughs> P- peter ran this thing called the national institute for economic and social research in uh, in the in melbourne and did a very high quality uh, empirically based mathematical model of the australian economy and peter was again got so incensed and i think he said between 1973 and i think 2000 there are about of the order of 20 changes in the definition of unemployment every last one reduced the recorded number over the previous number yeah and these are all i these are I, international labor organization conventions so the statisticians have been under pressure from the politicians they've given into the pressure and they've redefined this uh, this very vital economic indicator in such a way as to reduce the stated number every damn time. So now, what it, what's the that's, irre- that, that's, yeah, that's politically charged statistics. Absolutely, but is that what's the irrefutable way of doing this then? I mean, except for the fact that some people evade tax. I mean, um, we could look at tax records, couldn't we? How many people are paying their tax? Therefore, if you're paying tax, you've got a job. You can ask the employers, and this this is how the employment data is actually largely produced. It's a different survey, but the uh, I think it's an OECD survey. Where the um, where the unemployment's a bigger of labour statistics in America, but they the, they actually ask the the fact the factory how many workers you got, yeah. Now that tells you how many people have got a job. Yeah, but then yeah. but then in the uh, in the gig economy and the the changing, you know, it's getting harder to measure it that way, isn't it? Because that's you know, the trouble. Yeah, the growth the growth in this uh, you know, casualised workforce where people are forced to be their own capitalists. Uh, that and that of course has been another trend which has added to the level of insecurity people feel. If wondering why people aren't feeling like the Jetsons now, apart from the absence of flying cars, a lot of it has to be with how much more fragile employment is now than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah, which we, we which we talked about a week or two back. But um, I'm just trying to find if there's a way that you can say, well, this is the safest measure. Um, well, again, again the empl- asking the employers is the way to go about it because with the gig economy, all you do is add up uh, Uber, how many people are on your database and how many hours are they how are they working? I mean, again, it's it's possible to do these calculations, and in fact, they're easier to do than the unemployment data, which involves a in 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 the most cases involves somebody going and and filling a paper survey at somebody's house. They're expensive stats to record. There was only a tiny sample. It's much easier to actually get uh, you know on time on if you know real time data could be acquired from all these companies for so their employment on virtually on a minute to minute basis. So we are we're relying upon old fashioned technology to to collect unreliable data right look beneath the hood and see the real statistics that's the story isn't it and uh, make sure you're looking at the number of people who are working uh, rather than the number of people as a percentage who are unemployed as a percentage of what is a pretty meaningless participation rate statistic indeed all right steve good talk talk to you again soon okay Okay. And uh, G- uh, just looking at, Jesus Christ, I'm just looking at a graph Steve has sent me from the St. Louis Federal Reserve showing the unemployment to population ratio against the Im- unemployment rate. Uh, so the employment to population ratio since 2010 has gone from 58.5% to 60%. So that's uh, just a 1.5% difference. So it's not a lot of extra people employed compared to the unemployment rate, which has gone from 10 
to 4.5%, more than half, the 6.5% difference. You've got to see Steve's point on there. There's something not right here, isn't there? Why is there not more made of this, I wonder? Anyway, that is it for the Debunking Economics podcast for this time. If you're enjoying it, tell your friends. Uh, get them to subscribe. We'll do another one very soon. I'm Phil Dobby. He was Steve Keen. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.